Welcome to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we've got an extraordinary conversation with Barbie Maddie. Now, Barbie is not only a former VP Principal Analyst at Forrester, but today at Iron Horse, you work with emerging growth companies on their growth strategies, their go-to-market and growth strategies. But you also have recently authored, which what we're going to be talking about here today, is a report that looked forward and looked at investments that B2B companies were making in the coming year. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on that report and what came out of that report and what we can take away as CMOs running marketing in our organizations today. So I'll leave it up to you to maybe expand on your background just a little bit. And then let's talk about what this report is and what it does. And thank you, Steve. And thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I joined Serious Decisions in 2015 after 12 and a half years of working at Advanced Micro Devices, working for an ingredient brand that did B2B2C marketing. So it couldn't really get any more complicated than that. And then when I joined Serious Decisions, we ran an emerging growth practice where we helped companies 150 million revenue was the best practice we had. Obviously, we wanted to help clients based on maturity, but there's no crunch based information on company maturity. <laughs> so we just really developed a lot of research and content and tools and support to not only teach companies how to set up the foundation for predictable, repeatable and scalable growth, but we also help with the how to's. The nice thing about moving from Serious Decisions and Forrester over to Iron Horse is I still get to do that, except Iron Horse actually does the execution and the activation of programs as well. So I, it's a really nice compliment to my past experience to be able to advise, strategize, and then actually help do the work and close that. Fantastic. And, the, and part of doing that work, obviously, is continuing to advise. And this report that you've put out uh, is a big part of that. Maybe just give us the lowdown on the report, what the goals were, who it was with, and what you were trying to accomplish. That would give us a good starting point. Sure. Yeah. This was in collaboration with the Enterprise Growth, Growth Alliance. And so Iron Horse partnered with Demandbase and Netline for this particular report. We have a whole host of other partners that we work with as well. And so the report was really trying to figure out the answer to one important question, which is what are the most important outcomes that you plan to invest in with your next annual budget? Said a little bit cleaner, the exact wording of the question was what is your most important outcome that you're trying to achieve with your next planned investment. And so this was a forward look at 2024. And the way that we looked at the data is I always find it more insightful to not look at just a lump of data. I like to play around with the different lenses, whether it's industry, company size. In my years of being an analyst, I've always looked at data comparing companies that are high growth to companies that maybe are flat to declining or maybe are not growing quite as much. Because in today's economy, you really want to 
understand what the companies who have managed to grow did so you can emulate that because we don't have the luxury of a lot of trial and error with limited and dwindling budgets. And the hypothesis that I continue to try and prove is that we should follow what high growth companies do and emulate their spend patterns because they grew being able to do that. <laughs> it's so important today because yeah, the the cost of funds today in raising capital is so much higher than it was just a few years ago, right? So the idea and the focus on how do we achieve growth without lots of experimentation in the middle of that, where there's going to be a lot of failures, this report lays the groundwork for, and when you said high growth companies, these were companies that went through, I think, 11 to 40% growth, revenue growth over the past year. 11 yep. to 40% growth managed to happen in 2023, which is pretty impressive. And to your point about PE companies and funding and getting more funding, I just saw a, a chart from Visual Capitalist yesterday about how the PE dry powder market is $2.5 trillion. <laughs> so that's a large TAM to go after. <laughs> And in order to go after additional funding, you need to have your app together. Absolutely. I'm sure everybody's like chomping at the bit here to understand. Tell us, give us the top line of the key objectives for where you're making investments. What was that in this coming year that came out of that report? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, at Forrester, I did a lot of work around annual planning and budget and I'm, I don't use their data anymore, but conceptually, the approach to looking at budgets is pretty industry standard. You look at it marketing as a percentage of revenue. Then you look at the people, programs, and technology required to do everything that the company is, being, is asking marketing to do. And so that was the lens. It was just like, hey, what if you're trying to achieve an important outcome, and I'll get to what those important outcomes are in a second. With your next plan of investment, you have to know what people, programs, and technology are required to support that. Now, the question that I asked, which this whole study keys off of, is the, the most important outcome. And it was really interesting when I looked at it with the lens of just companies that were growing annual revenue 11 to 40%. The sample size was 252, so that's statistically significant. And then it was also statistically significant when I broke it down. And it was weird because no matter how I cut the data, the, the most, the top three most important were always efficiency, retention, and expansion business. And it was to the point where there was a, a, a sample size of one that differentiated efficiency being the most important and retention being the second most important. So those are the three most important outcomes that high growth companies are focused on. So now that we know what the outcomes are, I looked at the people, programs, and tech to support that. And, and I don't have the specific budget numbers or budget breakdown data, but directionally, it's very helpful in, dis in figuring out where you need to invest. And is the, when we say efficiency, is that efficiency in the go-to-market, right? In acquiring new logos, and then you said right below that was retention. So we, we yeah. tend to think a lot about yeah. acquiring new business and the amount of effort and resources that goes into that. But you're saying these were really neck and neck. 
snack. And, and the easiest way for me to describe efficiency that resonates with pretty much everyone is just staying a bit of positive. <laughs> that is efficiency. And however else it's defined below that, I can't account for all the variables for how people define efficiency, but as long as you're even a bit of positive, you're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good to know. All right. So if we want to talk about then what in terms of the people and the programs and things that people are looking to invest in, when you reached out to me, you said, Steve, we've got to talk, right? Because this report came out and it was really all about content. Explain yep. that so oh. that we can understand that. And, and in fact, you actually said that this was not only content, but it was, you're framing this as content is the new ABM. <laughs> so that's a lot to, to get into, but let's open that door. Okay. I can follow along. Those are like four questions in one, but I'm tracking. <laughs> Luckily, I have analyst experience. <laughs> Good. So... From when we looked at the data for the most important outcomes, efficiency, retention, and expansion, that it was consistent pattern across all of those. Somewhere within the top three, it was either you need a content development person, you need to have a buyer-centric, audience-centric, however you refer to your audience, you have to have audience-centric content. And then from a technology perspective, the number one technology planned for high growth companies to invest in was content marketing technology. So the, this, the report just screams everything about content. And what's interesting is when you dive deep into the data um, from a people perspective, the top two headcount toggled between uh, data and analytics and marketing ops across efficiency, retention, and expansion. Obvious. And the reason why those are the top two is because the actual percentage numbers that were reflected in the study indicated that these people were net new. And they, 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 it was a role that wasn't quite fulfilled yet or a capability. The content was consistently the third option the entire way across. So the, the third most important hire for efficiency, retention, and expansion was content development. But these percentages were really low, like in the 13 and 14%. So that indicates to me that they already have people doing content and they're adding more because it's so important. So that's the actual people piece. The technology piece was content marketing, content. It was, we called it content marketing, but it lumped in like content intelligence tools and other things. So it was just everything you can do to make your content better and more efficient. So that was the technology piece. And then from a demand and ABM perspective, the options came out a little bit weird when you think about optimizing outbound for retention business, okay? That was a whole other podcast that I did. And you will, we can reference it if you want to, where I talked with David Fortino uh, and Sandra Freeman from Dem Netline and Demand Base, respectively. And they have some really good insights on why they think that is. So I would rather answer the why is uh, content the new ABM. And that's because all the across the efficiency, retention, and expansion business, it was all about building audience centric content and creating a more connected buyer journey. 
when you build audience-centric content, you can make a more connected buyer's journey. And just the fact that those were so synergistic was really cool to see in the data. All right, so now I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> the, the content of the new ABM was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I was trying to be provocative and just humor me for a second, Steve, with a mini history lesson. ABM's been around for a while, since about the 1990s. And it was really more of an approach that was just marketing to it. When I was at AMD, we had six OEMs we worked with. That was ABN with six original equipment manufacturers, right? You're still marketing to accounts, but because it was a little bit nascent back then and we didn't have the ABM technology to support that, it's constantly evolving. The 90s are, gosh, how many decades ago? <laughs> I don't want to count because that just makes me realize how old I am. But then as it became more widely adopted in the, the mid-2010s and everything, and it became a really standard industry practice or approach to aligning demand generation programs, content, and messaging against high-value accounts. And that's a bit of a long-winded way of saying content is the new ABM because the, the same diligence that was used to target these high-value accounts needs to be applied to go beyond the targeting. And so what I mean by that is it's the job of B2B sellers and marketers to work in tandem to permeate the entire account. You can target account, but you have to go beyond to get through to the accounts, the buying groups, and your ideal customer profile. And so content with journey-specific messaging is the most effective mechanism to get from target to ICP. And optimizing that practice enables a more efficient go-to-market approach. It allows fa faster account expansion business, and that ultimately supports your retention goals. So see how I closed loop that? <laughs> did. You did. Again. In fact, what was great is we actually reached out to CMOs, and we asked them to take a look at the report and give us some of their takeaways that they had from this, because so much here is very instructive, like you said, without the experimentation to what we should be doing, where should we be investing resources and time and energy this next year? Well, so I wanted to read a few of those, if that was okay. Yes, and please. So I'm going to start out, this is actually from a former colleague of yours, Nancy Maluso, that you worked with together, I think, at Forest. And my understanding is that you both went out as sales and marketing and did advisement with the Forrester clients. So Nancy knows a few things about what we're talking about here too, but she was basically- she Probably was more than me. <laughs> She's fantastic. She was on the podcast a few months ago. Yeah. It's about the, the ongoing delivery of value. And when you talked about the ABM process there, right? The reason why content is so important in that is because mm -hmm. through an ABM process, we can't just keep selling and selling, right? We have to keep adding value. And so mm -hmm. when we add value on a regular basis, that is a very instructive, important part of that ABM process. So I think what Nancy said there was fantastic. She also oh, yeah. said that it is, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. I was just going to say that value is so important, especially when you start uh, talking about the EBITDA positive. <laughs> and then also one of the things that we saw in the data and around the technology 
is with content marketing technology, one of the things that we were seeing is that most companies have it and if they were going to buy it for a first time, but what they're realizing is they're not getting the value out of their current technology that they could. So they're spending the time and money rather than just like saying, oh, this isn't working. They're putting a, a, a very good lens on how to get more value out of it so you can have that more connected buyer's journey that's automated with the technology. Very good. Very good. Here's another CMO, Karen Scott. And Karen said her big takeaway was that the best bang for the buck today is content. Yeah. And I, I do. I, first of all, it's a great soundbite and it's true. <laughs> and the reason why I like that so much is because one of the things that I looked at when I was really spelunking in the data is the pattern of the people, the process, and the technology across retention, efficiency, and expansion business. And when I pulled everything together, there were very distinct patterns. And so getting the biggest bang for your butt with content, you can actually grow through retention and expansion business and by being more efficient if you really focus on content, meaning people adding more people to your current content base, making sure you build that audience-centric content from a program perspective and make a more connected buyer journey. And to what I said earlier about extracting more value out of your content marketing technology, whether you have it or you're thinking of buying it, think of it more than just in as a point solution. Think about holistically how it can integrate so that's absolutely get the more bang for your buck across people, programs, and technology to drive efficiency, retention, and expansion. Love it. So here's another one. This is from a CMO, uh, Jessica Zoll. And she said that we as a company are hyper-focused on increasing efficiency and decreasing CAC. Yep. Adds that as emerging companies, that's probably, I love the fact that she's not talking about more MQLs. That is, right. it's a positive sign that the the measurement by which marketing is contributing to the business is the customer acquisition cost. That's really putting the lens on adding more customers rather than just the lead angle. And Forrester has a whole bunch of research on how leads are dead and it's all about opportunities. So I do defer back to Forrestaw and Terry Flaherty and Amy Hawthorne for those subject matter experts. But yeah, starting with the appropriate and important metrics, especially around how your efficiency and your content, using it how to capture and engage your customers, and then calculating that to decrease CAC to be more efficient. That's how content is the best thing for your buck today. Fantastic. And it's interesting because Forster has written a lot on the MQL is dead. There's a lot of CMOs that aren't even, they don't even count MQLs anymore because they're not qualified enough, right? They're not ready for that conversation to actually say, let's go to the next level. So really important. Here's a, I think this is one of the, the best takeaways from the CMOs that we shared this with. Um, this is from a Kevin Babowski, and he's a, a three-time B2B CMO currently at a company called Aware. And he said, with a focus on efficiency in 2024, each new piece of content produced needs to absolutely deliver. No missing the mark. 
no mass production of content by an army. Be precise and remain laser focused on the needs of your ideal customer profile. I love everything about that. <laughs> I love the fact that content is now going to have, for lack of a better term, a PL. <laughs> I love that there's, we can't miss the mark that just that affirmative statement. I love how. We don't need a team, an army of people creating content if we're targeting the ICP to begin with. I, I, I love everything about that. The only thing that I would need that I would possibly augment that, but it's an amazing quote, so I wouldn't really try, is making sure you've got that, that connected buyer experience through all of this. And that's the only, that's the, the glue that holds all of those amazing statements from that quote together. And over the years, right, so we're talking a lot about content here, but over the years, as you're making these recommendations and you're now executing on these recommendations with companies, in terms of content, that's a big category, right? But I think yeah. there was a quote from Forbes magazine article that said, content marketing solves problems. Thought leadership sparks conversations. Uh -huh. So when we talk about content and the creation of content, then all the content has to work really hard for us, right? Yeah. Especially in an, an environment where the B2B buyer is trending more and more towards a self-service buyer's journey. Our goal is to move up earlier in that buyer's journey with them, spark those conversations earlier, which places even more emphasis on marketing and content, that thought leadership content. Yeah. Right. To be a greater portion in impact on the whole sales process. Uh -huh. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the kinds of content that CMOs should be thinking about and creating to spark those conversations, right? Get beyond an MQL, but get into a, a conversation ready lead, really. Yeah. And what's interesting when you look at that a little bit closer, what the new data that's coming out, I, I six cents has some data. You shared some data. The margin uh, difference is percent to 84% or the numbers that I've heard of people are doing their own research before they even engage with a company. So that's why content's so important because it's self-serve now. You don't really have that rep assisted selling because people are almost ready to make a decision before they even engage with the company. So that that thought leadership content has to be out there. It has to, you have to have tailored content, but it all goes back to making sure you're targeting the right audience in the first place. Uh, so it's really important to do go-to-market targeting exercise to figure out your routes to market and your industries and your buying groups. So then you can really hone in on your ideal customer profile and serve them exactly what they need because you have a Flip in time to get in front of them because they're doing most of the own, their own selling process. They're selling to themselves with their own research and discovery. What's so great about this research is that it leads us, it directs us. And mm -hmm. there was another piece of research that said just having that connection with a company's brand is mm -hmm. as important as what that company does. Mm -hmm. Right. So this thought leadership, the idea of positioning your company as an expert, as a trusted advisor in the industry, this isn't just lofty branding that we're talking about here. In fact, there was a, another CMO that we didn't read a quote from here, but she was on our podcast, a multiple time B2B CMO as well. 
And her takeaway was that today's brand is tomorrow's demand. And that if we do it right, isn't that Mm -hmm. great? If we do it right, it takes actual sales cycles away. That ABM process that we were talking about here, right? Yeah. That that if we don't rely on the sales rep to have to build the trusted advisor status 100% on their own, obviously Mm -hmm. they're going to be doing that all throughout the ABM process. But if we can establish as a company that the connection that somebody has to the company that they know and they trust you as an advisor in the industry, you are building demand. You are taking away sales cycles from that ABM process. Yeah. I would actually take that a step further even and and suggest that before COVID, retention wasn't nearly as important as it is now. And even when I was advising emerging companies, which I still do, they're smaller. They don't have the big paychecks to go out and do a big branding campaign. That's not a luxury for them. Because they have to be scrappy, the way that we would advise them is we would say, okay, why don't we focus on customer retention? When you have happy customers, they advocate for you, which will build your brain. And so that was our door in to brand building without from being a little scrappy approach, which also is great because that ties back to the 2024 data about retention. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you something that we didn't even talk about before, but one of the you're pouring through all of this data, right? You're writing this report. What was some of the most like surprising takeaways that you had from the data that you saw? Honestly, I was not expecting the consistency. That was the biggest surprise. I expected more of a variation. It was just so the people were consistent, the programs were consistent, the technology was consistent. What did surprise me was the net new acquisition was not in the top three or even the top four most important outcome. And there are a bunch of different views on why that is. Me personally, I I believe because net new acquisition, it's longer, it's more expensive. You have to do be better at targeting. You're you have to be better at uh, better than your competition and differentiated. Well, that's just, it, it's a cost and a velocity that net new business. It just, and cost and, and velocity these days needs to be lower. Now, are we saying that nobody's doing net new acquisition? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> but what we're saying is that as a business, um, we need to figure out what the optimal balance is between net new retention and expansion. And just for clarity, we lump expansion together as upsell, meaning selling more to the same person you already bought, and cross-sell, which is selling more to a new buyer within an account that's already bought. So we just lump those two together in expansion. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in the same vein that you're talking about there is because I interview CMOs and CROs all the time for this podcast, probably over uh, 70 just this year. And the mentality <laughs> is always around how do we close more business? What is in our pipeline? Revenue marketers, marketing focused on pipeline development, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's typically the net new, right? Yeah. 
It's all about pipeline. I know that. It's all about pipeline. But it's pipeline. not. <laughs> Exactly. So that's what I think is one of the biggest revelations here is, mm -hmm. and it's something actually that came out of uh, other interviews that I've done is that they, if the goal, the objective of the company is to increase revenue, then we can't be looking at without seriously looking at our customer support, right? Our existing customers and where do we have opportunities to grow the business there? And I think that's a fascinating area, an area that CMOs need to be much more focused on as well. Yeah. And that was one of my biggest takeaways outside of how important content was how we need to refocus our time and energies. This is the time of year where we're all planning, right? We're planning for the next year. It was a great yeah. time to be talked to these, these businesses. Yep. We need to be putting into our plans serious resources and dedication, right? in order to be expanding from within. I think that's Absolutely. a big takeaway. And I actually, I have a great quote from Uzair Dada, the founder and CEO of Iron Horse, in the report that we've been talking about, because it's really relevant to what you just said. So the quote is, when companies can grow through their current customer base, that's a strong indicator of how your products and services are resonating in the market. And that makes it that much easier to attract and convert net new buyers. So it's all interconnected. It's all cyclical. But if we're talking about the fastest, least expensive, it's not the least expensive, but it's retention, upsell, cross-sell, then net new. That's the order you need to think sell. about it if you want to get the money, more money and faster. <laughs> Absolutely. In we have relationships established. It's not like with the net new, we're trying to create those relationships. And just the amount of effort and time that it takes to create a relationship, there is trust based in that relationship versus the relationships we already have, where if we're doing the job, your CEO's comment there, then we have the foundation to be making recommendations to expand their business and expand ours at the same time. Well, there... it's uh... Yeah, go ahead. No, you got it. So... What I wanted to do is I wanted to ask, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure that we get into the conversation here around the findings, the report, the conversations you've had since, you've done webinars, you've had questions coming in. Is there anything else that we would you'd want to be able to make sure that we said on the podcast here? Actually, I am just about to release a new blog based on the findings of this report, because I would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about how AI can influence efficiency, retention, and expansion. So that is the buzz and the trend these days. And that is one thing that'll make it into my next survey. My next survey that I'm doing is going to be more around a marketer's guide to creating sales and marketing effectiveness. So I'm I plan to ask about AI and I continued, I will continue to ask about the evolution of content. Fantastic. Then there's only one last question I have for you today, Maddie or um, Barbie, is that is that if there was a single takeaway that you wanted folks that are watching this or listening to this to have, what would that takeaway be? The best advice that I could give is just learn from others' mistakes. And I don't mean mistakes as in 
it's a bad thing because when you fail, you learn, right? But learn from what high growth companies are doing. Look at companies that are growing. They've already done the testing. They've done the experimentation. That is probably the best guidance that I can give you that applies that's industry agnostic and persona agnostic and function agnostic. It's just why not follow what others have done really well? <laughs> Emulate, of course. That's you. This is this is like having a mentor 252 times over in learning what the most important and successful B2B organizations are doing. Why wouldn't we try to emulate that? Yeah, exactly. I love the conversation we're having, and it looks like we're going to have more conversations in the future as you do more of these reports and the blog and the findings. But if if I'm somebody wanted, I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> great. And if somebody wanted to, to have a, a question that they wanted answered for you, they wanted to connect with you, would giving them a link to your profile on LinkedIn, would that be a good idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not on there every day, but I'm fairly responsive. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for coming on, sharing all of these insights. I know there was lots of notes that were being taken here today, so <laughs> including my own. So thank well, you for coming on. Appreciate I appreciate your time and I appreciate you reaching out. And this was just an absolutely lovely conversation.